continuing to work our way through Psalm 119 as we uh, prepare for time of fellowship on the Word, to be fed by God in His Word and on the table. We're at uh, verse 137. It says, Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Family of God, the word of God is the truth, and you are about to hear it proclaimed, so give heed to it. Brothers and sisters, I'd ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This past week, I had a week of sickness, and so I was nauseated and feverish and all the other bit, and so it wasn't a good week for me to, 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 to study. So I um, am going back to Philippians 4 this, this morning. Uh, the next section, 4 through 9, um, is the text that I'm going to begin with you. We'll return back to occasionally as, as we have opportunity. Philippians 4, we've looked at 1 through 3 already in the last couple months. And this morning we're going to look at 4 through 9. This is God's word. Let me invite you to stand together with me as we read it. Hear now the word of King Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the, great, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Thus far of the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, the privilege you've given us this morning to fellowship around it. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed open our eyes. Give us grace to understand your word, and Holy Spirit, give us grace to be responsive. And by that, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to feed, to grow, to mature in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to study the book of Proverbs. But the way I typically study a book is that one of the first things I like doing when I study a book is, or a passage is I like to outline it. And if I apply that same practice to the book of Proverbs, I find I'm, I'm very quickly frustrated. You know, there are some passages in Scripture that lend themselves to an outline. Acts is a good example of that. Acts 1.8, uh, Luke gives us the outline of the entire book. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the world. Um, Acts 1 through 8 is the witness to Jerusalem. Acts 9 through 11, the witness to Judea and Samaria. And Acts 12 through 28, the witness to the remotest part. It's pretty easy. That's a fun one. That's an easy one. You go to Proverbs. 
Proverbs, it's just a, a very difficult book. If you've read it, you probably have. Uh, let me give you a, a taste of it. Proverbs 14, for example. How would you outline this? What's the overall theme of 1 through 7? Verse 1, the wise woman. Verse 2, he who walks. Verse 3, in the mouth of the foolish. Verse 4, where no oxen are. Verse 5, a faithful witness. Verse 6, a scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. Verse 7, leave the presence of a fool. What you find is, as you study it and you read commentaries on it and you even read books on Proverbs, that Proverbs does not lend itself to any uh, universal theme other than wisdom. And, uh, and so there are sections that are, 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 are much more outlinable. But by and large, the Proverbs is a book which is a series of unconnected statements, wise sayings from the hand of the Lord. And that is how a lot of people on first glance read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. It seems as though Paul maybe between 3 and 4 maybe had a quiet time, a devotion time in the book of Proverbs and it just brought to mind um, five different proverbial statements or, or, or exhortations that he would just sort of Gatlin gun, machine gun, rejoice, forbear, pray, uh, you know, be concerned about your thought life, um, uh, you know, work on your practice or whatever. Um, the, the, these, all five of these are glorious exhortations, but they don't seem to have anything uniting them on the surface. Until, of course, you look at the context. And when you look at the context, you find that in Philippians 4, 1 through 3, Paul is addressing division. The church at Philippi was a divided church, and one example of it is Yodian Syntyche. And in this section on Yodian Syntyche, 1 through 3, he calls them to be of the same mind in verse 2. He says, brothers and sisters, help these women and Yodia and Syntyche be of the same mind. My text says live in harmony, but in the Greek it's be of the same phroneo. And it's presumed that, well, he mentions that in Philippians 2, therefore that mind must be the mind of Philippians 2, and that no doubt is part of it. No question. However, 4 through 9 is the context. 4 through 9 is believed by uh, commentators, uh, at least uh, certainly my professor in seminary, to be an elucidation, a description of what it means to have one mind. How can you have the one mind referenced by Paul in Philippians 4, 3, in the context of relationships? And his answer is 4 through 9. These are the things he wants you to focus on. And if you and I focus on these things, we'll have relationships of peace. So I've titled this section, The, D the Disciplines of Peace. Characteristics, elements that lead to peaceful relationships, whether it be in a family whether it be in a marriage, whether it be children amongst themselves, whether it be you with one another in the body of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. If this is our focus, unity, peace, not unity, but peace, will be the word of the day. Let's dive in. The first exhortation we're going to look at is verse 4, rejoice. We're going to look at four different elements of this little verse, just, just this verse the first one is the content. What does it mean by rejoice? So let's define it. 
The word for rejoice, you've got it there in your bulletin, is Cairo. The root is kara, which is the word for, for, for joy. Now, I've, I've described joy and defined it a couple times throughout the years, so I'm not going to belabor it long. But I will start here by saying, brothers and sisters, joy, first and foremost, is not an emotion. It's a state of being. Okay? It impacts the emotions, as we'll see. But it is not an emotion. It is as, it's been defined as, as a conviction, a deep seated conviction that it is well before you and God. And so joy is enhanced in our life when you and I look at reality, look at scripture and see what really is, um, what, what is, what is a real. And what is real is first and foremost, there is this being called, we call God, Yahweh, who is who is far, far greater and superior than anything you and I could imagine. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable. The Bible calls him holy, transcendent. He's other. We have more in common with the tree than we do God. We have more in common with anything in creation than we do this being. And this being we know from Scripture is morally upright. He's pure. And thus this being hates darkness and hates sin. This being, therefore, will not endure darkness, 1 John. And thus, this being, in the presence of sin, one sin will condemn that sinner to eternity in hell. Now, if you look at that reality, and then you think of yourself, you think of yourself just as a, as a person, as an image bearer, and you realize, man, this past day, much less this week, has been spent with me committing foul revolt against God, there may be a moment for you to pause and say, wait a second. As Tozer says, brothers and sisters, when you come to a right apprehension of God and a right, right understanding of yourself, you'll find that the burdens of this world are nothing in comparison to the burden we have to this incredible God. Perfect obedience. If we fail one time, we fail. But then when we discover that this God in eternity past set his love upon you. Now think about that. Think of the context. Feel that. And then think for one moment of the glorious passages throughout scripture which speak of God setting his love upon you. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 God so loved the world, he gave his son. Love is a defining character of God. Beloved, let us love because God is love and he's loved us. Listen to some of the incredible passages. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. Think about that. In fact, the text goes on, he will be quiet in his love, referencing Isaiah. Christ went to the cross quiet. He will be quiet in his love. Family of God, if you are one this day in the body of Jesus Christ, if you are one this day professing faith in Jesus Christ, you are professing some incredible statement that this God, this holy, awesome, infinite, eternal, unchangeable being before whom the entire universe is but a speck, that God in eternity past set his love upon you. 
Lamentations, or I'm sorry, uh, Psalm 149.4, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Think about that, brothers and sisters. When you think of God, you and I might think of this, this dour being, the, a Zeus-type being. We should not. He is a God who has set his love upon you. When you think of God, you, th- you should think of Father as he tells us to pray. Our Father. And thus, brothers and sisters, listen to Lamentations 3.23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean God's love is renewed every morning? No. We are to wake up every morning and realize again and again and again, renew our understanding of the love, of the kindness, of the compassion, of the care of God for you. When you do that, you have the deep-seated conviction. The result is a deep-seated conviction which says, it's well with my soul before God, and that is joy. Okay, if that's joy, what's the word rejoice mean? Well, the word rejoice, brothers and sisters, is simply joy overflowing, joy expressed. Listen to a couple verses. 1 Peter 1.8 Speaking of those trusting in Christ, Peter said, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. What is rejoicing? It is, it is a joy that's expressed, but it's a joy that can't be expressed because it's so incredible. It's joy unexpressible, full of glory. That's what rejoicing is. Rejoicing is described in Philippians 2, this very text where he says, or this very book, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. What is rejoicing? It's, ex- it's sharing joy. The joy of the Lord is not an emotion, joy, but it impacts the emotion. It wells up and it impacts our thinking our desiring, our emotions, our, our, our motives. That's what rejoicing is. It's joy um, um, protruding, entering, invading every facet of our being. And when that happens, we're rejoicing. We're rejoicing because joy is what drives me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We're, we, we are emotionally moved I feel warm fuzzies. I'm happy. I'm exultant because God has loved me and it's well with my soul. Now, don't misunderstand. If that is not true of you, any of these, at any given time, that doesn't mean you're not filled with joy. But that's what rejoicing is in a pure definition. It's when joy pervades our lives, overwhelming, bubbling up, where we express our joy. To those. And thus, brothers and sisters, Paul exhorts the Philippians to rejoice. And in so doing, he's calling them to have the joy of the Lord pervade their workplace, their home, their lying down, their rising up, everything in between. And get this, the context, their relationships. I urge Yodi and Syntyche to have the same mind in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. My sisters, do you understand this is a glorious facet 
that is designed to impact our relationships in our families, in our workplaces, in our church, in our homes. The metaphor that comes to my mind, I've got Gladia there, guys. I'm going to take that out. I, 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 the more current one in my life would be, as I meditated upon this, what came to my mind was not, glad, not a gladiator in the old times, but Saving Private Ryan. If any of you saw that movie, you know, I'll describe it quickly. The movie begins with Private Ryan going to the beaches of Normandy, a graveyard there, and standing before Captain Miller, who gave his life for him. And then, very poetically or very whatever, dr- dramatically, he goes from that image, that modern-day image, to the story. And the story is he's one of four brothers, three of which were killed, and so he gets to go home. And so Captain Miller and a group of his people were charged to go find Private Ryan so he could be sent home. And in the process of finding Private Ryan, the entire group of people sent to find him are killed. And the, and the, and the, the climax of the movie is where Ryan is standing before Captain Miller, who's dying because he saved him. At that point, the Americans swoop in and and, and Ryan is saved and he goes home. And the impact of that scene, where now it fades back to the present, he's still staring at his tombstone. And he looks at his wife and says, tell me I've lived a good life. Because Captain Miller looked at him and said, said, earn this. Horrible statement, I, I think. Horrible yoke upon his back. But the idea is that this man spent his entire life living in light of that act. That act um, impacted him. Brothers and sisters, what's impacted you this past week? What has driven you in your life? What is it? Is it the worry of our world in which we live? Is it health? Is it money? Is it a lack of job? Is it is it that you want more money in your what is it that drives you on a daily basis? This call this text is calling us to watch over our hearts so that Christ, his cross work, his grace and his love and his mercy would be that which would drive us and trump everything else. It would be that which we are consumed with. Such that, yes, I don't have a job and I need to do something about that. But I'm not going to let that rob me of the joy of the Lord. And yes, I may not be, things may not be going good here or there. My health may, may not be good. But brothers and sisters, God loves me. He cares about me. He died for me. He wants me to be with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, that's the joy of the, the Lord. And rejoicing is when that joy begins to drive us and move us and compel us and dictate what we value and what we don't and what we choose is a crisis and what we choose is not a crisis. That, brothers and sisters, is what rejoicing is all about. Yet now this text gives us a qualification. Would you notice with me this, the very next phrase? Rejoice in the Lord. So what I just said was only half right. Paul is, rejoicing does revolve around joy expressed. And what is joy? It's joy is about God. But here he is giving us a very specific focus of the joy, the rejoicing we're to have. And that focus is the character of God. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in your God. So not only do we rejoice in what God has done for us, 
but we rejoice in who God is. This is so important, brothers and sisters, because as sinners, you and I are professionals. We are professional well diggers. Did you know that? You may not have known that, but when you became, when you were born, you were born to be a professional well digger. It sounds crazy and odd, but it's so true. Jeremiah 2, God tells his people, I'm going to look it up so I don't mess up the very first word. Um, For my people have committed two sins. Jeremiah 2, 13. For my people have, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Now, I want you to think of a fountain of living water. That's a spring that bubbles up out of the earth. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, to hew for themselves wells, cisterns, that can hold no water. Now, on that day, that, that God is being very, very vivid here, very vivid. Sister, the water from a cistern in that day was tepid, uh, typically. It was warm. It was, it was bug-infested. If you got too deep, it was muddy. Um, it was gross. And, but it was life. It would give you life. And so they built cisterns, and when it rained, water would pour in there, as well as bugs and lizards, or not lizards, snakes, and all other kinds of things. And, and uh, that's what you drink. Now, if you went from that to walking along, to find all of a sudden this bubbling brook broke out of the ground and, and, and was, was just bubbling. And you took a drink of that water, it would be fresh and pure and clean. God says, my people have done two things. This is what my people tend to do. They reject, they forsake me, the, the, the well or the source of living water. They say, man, I've got that, but they'd rather have a cistern that they make on their own. What is your cistern today, brothers and sisters? The way you can answer that is by asking yourself, what is it that makes you most upset? What is it that makes you angry? Therein will be a wonderful door, window, for you to evaluate and go, interesting, the, I get angry most when this occurs in my life. What, why is that true? What is it that I think that I need in this particular case in my life that when I don't get it, it makes me angry? What is it that causes you burden? What is it that keeps you up at night? Brothers and sisters, God says in Jeremiah 2, man, you've got, the, uh, you've got a bubbling brook It's that that should feed us. But you and I would rather not have that brook in our sinfulness. We'd rather make our own cisterns. But brothers and sisters, they will always let us down every time. That's what this text is saying, Jeremiah 2. They'll always let you down. They cannot hold water. If you think money is what's going to make you happy, if you think a relationship is going to make you happy, if you think a change in your relationship is going to make you happy, if you think that, that if you had different parents or better parents or different kids or better kids or a different job or a different circumstance, brothers and sisters, those are all cisterns that will never hold the water you think that they have. The only thing that you can ever have of substance in this world is God. The living water. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we're talking about here, rejoicing in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Let me give you a couple verses. Psalm 73, listen to what it says. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and besides thee I desire nothing on the earth. That's rejoicing in the Lord. 
That is a man who is being, who is delighting in God. In fact, I'll quote that verse, Psalm 34, 7. Delight yourself in the Lord. Do you understand Christianity? Why did God save you? Well, to glorify God and enjoy him. Okay, let's take that second part, to enjoy him. How do you enjoy God? By lifting him up, by coming to know his glory. Lord, show me your glory. By coming to know his person, who he is. Do you realize your greatest good in this life is exalting God, enjoying God? That's your greatest good. You and I think, no, my greatest would be good would be a change of location, a change of, of this or a change of that, everything horizontal. The Bible is very clear. Your greatest good is God. So rejoice in his character. Rejoice in this God who loves you. Psalm 42, 1 through 2, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O Lord my God. Brothers and sisters, that's rejoicing in the... In the Lord. Philippians 3 8, Paul, more than I can all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is eternal life? John 17 3, knowing Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is the objective, that's the object of our rejoicing, basking in light of the character, the glory, the weightiness, the substance of who our God is. And thus, brothers and sisters, our call is to. It's to be a people who, 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 who make God, his character, his love, are all in all. Psalm 94, 18, if I should say my foot has slipped, thy loving kindness will hold me up. You know what holds me up in my life, says the, uh, the psalmist? Not, a, not another hand, the loving kindness of the Lord holds me up. It lifts me up. It buoys me. It enables me to run and not grow weary, to walk and never faint. It gives me wings to fly. Now, you take all that in the context of Yodi and Syntyche. And it's very clear they were not in doctrinal sin. They were not in uh, uh, practical sin. They were, not in, they were not involved in some immoral act. But what were they doing? Brothers and sisters, they were making something about the other person much more important than they are God. We, we take this as a personality conflict. We take this as, there's something about Yodi that Syntyche didn't like. There's something about Syntyche that, 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 that rubbed Yodi the wrong way. This text is very clear, brothers and sisters. When you and I set God as our highest end, when you and I set the, the, the um, meditating on, relishing, glorying in the fact that he loves me, all of a sudden, the fact that you're mean to me is not a big deal. The fact that, or I I perceive you to be mean, I perceive you to be rude, I perceive you to be. All of a sudden, what is driving me, what's impelling me, is not you, that was Yodin Sintigi, what was driving them and impelling them, even to the point that Paul had to address it. Clearly, this was a big deal in that church. Paul had to address it. What was driving them was not God, not their mutual love and their mutual, uh, uh, um, what they've gotten share in, in glorious relationship with God, but the things of this earth. Family of God, it's amazing how love covers a multitude of sin. It's amazing how all of a sudden God's love for me and then that consequent love for him 1 John 4, 19, and then that love for you makes me say, guess what? 
all of a sudden, the fact that you were rude to me doesn't mean a whole lot more to me anymore. Because I've got God. He loves me. That's the qualification in the Lord. Would you notice with me then the standard? How much? How much? Would you notice? Rejoice in the Lord always. This is a very important word, brothers and sisters. The word always means at all times and every circumstances in life, it carries the idea of consistency. That's what we're after. Consistency. We're after rejoicing in God, not just at church, not just when I read God's word in the morning, but a joy, a rejoicing, which follows me that I bring everywhere I go. That now becomes my, my inspiration. That becomes my objective based upon this verse. This is what I'm looking for. Paul says, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord always. Make this something that is a characteristic of your life. You say, Greg, how do I do that? Well, you respond by grace. You respond to grace. And in responding, you realize this is a big deal in Christianity. Joy. And so I want to be someone who, who, who works on, is aware of, let me back up. My problem is this, brothers and sisters. I read God's word, and then I, I finish my time in the, in the, with God's word, and I start living life. And unlike my portfolio, or my stock options, or my reputation, which I feel is getting hurt, or whatever, right? Which carries me everywhere I go. Greg, what's wrong? You seem heavy. Yeah, lost a lot of money on the stock market. Hey, let's go to a party. Boy, what's wrong with you, Greg? You used to be so happy. What's, what's, what's got you down? Oh, I lost a lot, right? Brothers and sisters, we're called to say, you know what? Let's, let's pray towards, let's work towards the joy of the Lord being part of our lives. In other words, being driven and moved, mindful of God's glory, his greatness, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his tender kindness towards me being that which drives me everywhere I go. That's the idea behind always. And what's really beautiful about this, Paul gave an incredible example of this to this very church. Paul came to Philippi by virtue of a vision, Acts chapter 16. And when he got there, there weren't a lot of Jews, so there was not a synagogue, so he couldn't go preach the gospel in the synagogue. So he went down by the, a stream and he preached the gospel. And in and Acts 16, 14, and a group of women became Christians and hence was a church founded in Philippi. But as soon as that church was founded in Philippi, it wasn't soon right after that in Acts, we read of Paul casting out a demon of a slave, from a slave girl in verse 18. And the entire city getting angry. They beat Paul and Silas brutally, and then they throw him into a, a prison, which was not just an easy prison, because this was a Roman, um, you guys know this probably, Philippi was, 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 was Rome. Uh, that's where a lot of generals from Rome went to retire. The Caesar gave them land there. So they made Philippi a Roman colony, a Roman land. And therefore, you can be sure by Roman soldiers or Roman land that their prison system would be quite good, and certainly it was. And so Paul and Silas are in this prison, and it's midnight, and they've been beaten for, for just serving God. They got in trouble for serving God, for being responsive to God's call upon them to preach God's word in Philippi. And, he, and they did it in Macedonia. And you know what happened? We read about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. You know what that tells us about Paul and Silas? You know what was driving them at that moment? It wasn't the bruises on their back. It wasn't the ill treatment of the guard. It wasn't, it wasn't the persecution they received. 
It was the grace of God, the love of God. Wow. Do you realize, Silas, that even though we're here and the world would look at us and say, you're you're most to be pitied, we are the object of the love of this God. Praise be to God. Let's sing. Praise be to God. Always. You say, how can I do that when I'm in trial and difficulty? How can that happen? Because, brothers, two things. One, understand God ordains trial and difficulty to show you that your cisterns are broken. Do you realize that? Trial and difficulty are given our life so that we would discover that our cisterns, the things we're relying upon, are broken. Listen to Hosea 2. I've quoted before. Listen to it as if for the first time. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I'll build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. We're talking here about bitter providences. And she will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. And she will seek them, but she will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. I love it. When trial comes, we realize how empty are the things we spend our lives to save. And it, it, it just draws us back to say, well, what is important in life? What does uh, amount to something? And that's God. And his, his kingdom, his glory, his honor, his character. And his, he loves me. So all of a sudden now, that, that, that becomes always. Now, now God's love becomes that which is driving us. Now we're filled with the joy of the Lord. And it's bubbling over to rejoicing. That ends, brothers and sisters. Would you notice with me, 4D? He ends with these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. What's interesting about that? This is the urgency. Do you realize this is the 10th time Paul exhorted this in Philip in his book? He t- this is the 10th time. Paul, you're stuck in a rut, man. Do you have a stuttering problem? You keep saying this, the same thing over and over and over. Repeat that 10 times. Rejoice in the Lord. 10 times up to this point. Rejoice in the Lord. That tells you something, brothers and sisters. You and I understand that whether a command is given in Scripture, it's given because it's not natural. So if you have a command, for, for example, husbands love your wives, women don't think, therefore, your husband is going to love you. That tells us that your husband is going to struggle with loving you because it's not natural. Pray for him to love you, right? Do not lie. Brothers and sisters, that is a command given because our tendency is to lie. So we need the commands of Scripture as a lamp to our feet and a light into our path as God's people in order for us to understand this is an area that I'm going to struggle with. Ten times we get the command in four chapters, rejoice in the Lord. What does that tell you? It tells you that that is not something that will be natural to you and I, and it's something you and I are going to struggle with. So if you're struggling this day with rejoicing in the Lord, welcome to my world. I don't spend my days rejoicing in the Lord. I, I sincerely struggle with this. And I might, I'd be, real, be willing to guess you do too. This is not characteristic of us. It's not characteristic of me. But the fact that he says it again, just back to back, rejoice Lord always. Again, I say it again. Rejoice tells us this is that important. And the reason why, the Song of Solomon too, it's the foxes that ruined the vineyards. There's so many small things in my life that will ruin, will, that will rob me of my joy. Small things. It's not the big things. You think the big things, you know, 
If someone could rob me of my joy, I'm thinking perhaps maybe, I'm fantasizing here, if, if, if a soldier came in right now and put me in prison and, because I'm preaching Philippians, you know, that may, might make me go, oh man, Lord, what have I done? That would rob me of my, my joy. And it could. But let me tell you something. My joy is robbed when, when I walk upstairs with a paper cut. Now, if that's not you, I'm sorry, but that's me. My joy is so easily taken away, such that I spend a large part of my walk struggling here. So I take a verse like this, and it encourages me. It tells me, Greg, this is a big deal. So pray towards this end. Study towards this end. Lord, we know the joy of the Lord comes from God. We know that the only thing that robs joy of joy is sin. Psalm 51. We know that, right? David, restore the joy. We know that. Um, so therefore, God, give me a sensitivity to, to sin that I might repent quickly. Secondly, Lord, let me be someone who beholds the glory of your, of your, of your love, the glory of your mercy and compassions. Lord, may that become my delight more and more. Brothers and sisters, I pray that all the time. And because I've been praying that so much, I'm finding more and more throughout the day, it's becoming a, something that's present in my life. And that's the knowledge of joy and the desire to enjoy God and his joy and the love that he's given me. So there's an urgency here. Don't take this and go, yeah, whatever. Brothers and sisters, understand, in this context, we got, we're talking about relationships. The thing that will cause conflict in relationships is a lack of joy. I'm going to close by showing you that. Turn with me to Galatians 5, would you please? Galatians 5 is a church which has stumbled into moralism. Believing that you're saved by what you do. By your religious activity. You do these things, God will love you more. And in Galatians 5, he transitions after, actually, chapter 4, to practical application in the body. And in chapter 5, we discover that this church is a people-eating congregation. Would you notice with me 13? You recall the freedom? Um, Brethren, only do not turn your freedom into into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. There were a a, a big sport in and around uh, Amasia Minor was dogfighting. And this is the language that comes from a dogfight. The language bite and devour are dogfight words, right? What do dogs do in a dogfight? They bite, they devour, and they try to consume. And Paul says, man, the church, these churches in Galatia, the more you live by your flesh, the more you live by works, the more you are eating each other up. So what's his cure? Notice verse 16, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Well, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, verse 22. First, he tells us what it, what's it look like if you're not walking by the Spirit, right? You'll be characterized by the deeds of the flesh. But if you're walking by the Spirit, you'll enjoy the fruits. And what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Those, that's the foundation for everything else that he says. Love, joy, peace. You have problems in your relationships. You know why? Because joy is not what's driving you. Love is not what's driving you. Um, uh, Peace is not what's driving you. And so when he comes to uh, uh, Philippians 4 and addresses these two warring women, 
He tells them, rejoice. Focus on in your walk with God, cultivating a heart of joy that bubbles up over everything you do. Your motives, your values, your desires, your wants. Brothers and sisters, rejoicing is a glorious discipline. It's a glorious um, fruit that results in peace in the body of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you are a God of peace. And because you're a God of peace, O oh Lord, you have made us to be at peace with you and you with us. And Lord, we know that that peace that you give us, not as a world gift that you give us, that peace is given that our hearts would not be troubled or bothered. And then there's joy, O oh Lord, the joy that comes from knowing it is well with our soul. And that joy, as you describe it here, is, is to result in rejoicing, this glorious activity where joy bubbles up and over and so begins to govern and guide and direct and dictate what, what I value, what I don't. Lord, I pray for your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, your people here in this body, that we might have a fuller understanding and apprehension of your grace, of your love, of your mercy, of your compassions and kindness. And that, Lord, it would, it would come with weight. Show us the glory of your love, the glory of your compassions, the glory of your mercies. And that caveat, that weight, would drive us and impel us in how we talk to one another, how we think about one another, how we relate to each other. That we, likewise, would be compassionate people, tenderhearted, thinking the best, believing the best, working towards that in one another. Father, bless Bethel. Thank you that this body is at peace. But I know, O oh Lord, just from fellowshipping with this body, that not all in relationships are at peace. Our marriages, children with parents, Lord, our, our circumstances and situations, God, I pray that you would indeed grow peace in us, Grow this, this fruit of the Spirit. May it be embodied in us, this joy, more and more that it would uh, pervade. Lord, we know that the only way this happens is as we rejoice in you, as we rejoice in your character and what you've done. So Lord, now as we close out the service, we now have the opportunity to come to the table and rejoice in what you've done. Not us, not our choice, but your choice your sacrifice, your cross work. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.